we, again, don't live in a culture that really encourages us to feel all the feels. Mm -hmm. We're really only encouraged to feel happiness, right? toxic positivity, right? And so most of us, when we're experiencing our first or second round of grief, really don't know what it feels like to kind of sit with or welcome in our emotions. And so I remind people that no emotion stays, period. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Lisa Kefauver. We're going to be discussing grief and how some of us may be experiencing grief during this year of the global pandemic we've all been experiencing and hopefully leave you with some helpful tips and hints to help you feel better right now. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back on the Wellness Plus podcast. And as I've shared with you off uh, camera, I'm the crazy person who loves talking about grief and loss. So I'm happy to be here to shine some light on this important subject. Yes. And so on reimagining grief on your website, you have a lot of information, guided meditations and different things that can help people through grief. But one thing that I thought was interesting, you talk about how 100% of us experience grief, which I completely resonate with and know to be true. But I think a lot of us maybe don't experience grief in the way that we might think of it in our mind. So I know for myself over this last year, it's just kind of been feelings of of stagnation, feeling just kind of powerless and not really knowing what to do with myself. And I didn't really think about that as grief. And then I kind of was stumbled upon a podcast that you had done about it. And I realized, wow, what an important thing to just bring our awareness to. Um, So maybe you can talk a little bit about how different people experience grief or maybe what it looks like for people if they're not necessarily feeling sad or feeling depressed or realizing that they're grieving. Yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think because we don't talk about grief really at all, we're grief avoidant culture here in the West anyways, I think a lot of us have just a lot of beliefs and myths that are just simply not true and sort of get in the way of us even identifying the fact that we are grieving. As you said, 100% of us grieve and we actually grieve multiple times in our lives. Mm -hmm. We grieve each loss differently. And of course, we grieve different than others. Um, And so that's really important. And when we're thinking about this time of the global pandemic, we're all experiencing lots lots of various types of grief. And then we're doing it sort of at a collective level too, which makes Mm -hmm. things a little more complicated. So we have sort of traditional grief losses you might think about around death loss, but we also, many of us in the course of the pandemic are experiencing what we might call ambiguous loss, this sort Mm -hmm. of uncertain future. Things are the same, but they're not the same. What can we hope for? What is our sense of safety, et cetera? And so really expanding our understanding of what grief is and simply naming it. The power of naming what you're experiencing gives you then some opportunity to use the interventions and the tools and the skills that you might have to bring self-compassion to the circumstances that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as different kinds of grief and loss or the kind of way it presents, it's such an important question because again, we live in this grief avoidant culture. We all just think, oh, is grief is just the crying 
widow in the corner. That's mm. what grief represents. And grief is actually uh, can encompass a full spectrum of emotions, but it's not just emotions. We grieve with our physiological body. We a grief shows up, manifests itself cognitive. So when you think mm. about inability to function, maybe at your peak, executive functioning, decision making, you know, problem solving. Grief impacts us, of course, financially, relationships, mm. all those mm. things. And when we think about the emotional sphere of grief, you know, many people, if they give themselves permission to name what they've experienced as grief, for instance, if they had a death loss of a person or a pet, um, they might expect or give themselves permission to cry or feel sad, feel lonely, those kind of sets of emotions. But because grief is actually in some ways a stress response and a whole physiological mm -hmm. response, you might also be experiencing anger, resentment frustration, relief sometimes if maybe it was a prolonged illness. Mm. You might also experience joy in the mix of grief. And because we like to do everything binary in this country, like you either feel happy or sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I always like to remind people to give yourself permission to have, you know, joyful moments, even in the midst right. of processing grief. So yes, your experience of sort of sadness or confusion is what we might think of as typically as grief. Grief can look like a whole host of things depending on what were the circumstances of your loss. Right. Yeah. And I think you really, um, at least something that really resonates for me, which is that grief, rather than being kind of this finite thing that you go through and yeah. it's like, okay, here's my grieving time to handle this loss. And then the griefing time is over. Yeah. It's not really finite that way. It's yeah. kind of this experience where at any given time that feeling or that kind of I don't know, feeling in the pit of your stomach, maybe yeah. can just kind of sneak up on you. Yeah. And you don't even like you said, maybe you're having a great time, you're doing something. And then all of a sudden, you're just kind of overcome with a, a dark cloud, yeah. maybe is the way to describe it. Um, so this idea that we understand that grieving is not something that we should feel embarrassed of or that we should feel like needs to look a certain way or needs to be a finite experience. Yeah. That we just kind of accept that at any given time, we're all experiencing maybe mm -hmm. these different manifestations of grief or different little yeah. um, expressions of grief throughout our lives. And that just the way we're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, part of what you're touching on there, which is why I have my podcast is called Grief is a sneaky, I'll just say B in case we're trying to keep it PG-13. But that really came out of a sort of a counter narrative to this belief that we have. Again, back to these sort of, I'm always thinking about the cultural beliefs. That's mm -hmm. my training as a narrative therapist. And that world is that we, we live in a world that likes to have everything on a you know, checklist. Mm -hmm. We like to have everything on a timeline. We need goals and plans. And we try to compartmentalize grief into both being linear as in, you know, each day is better than the next and that there's some place that you mm. get to. You often hear people talk about how come you haven't moved on or I just want to move on as an expression. Mm. And this might not be welcome to some folks listening to this, but I actually believe that we carry grief with us. If it's a profound loss, mm -hmm. like I lost my husband in 2011. I lost a friend in 2015. I believe that I will carry grief with me for the rest of my life. Now, that doesn't mean my grief 
in year one looks the same as in year 10, et cetera. But grief is really um, the rebuilding of a kind of new narrative, a new story of our lives. We had a certain relationship or certain expectation for the many of us, you know, going into the pandemic, we had an idea of what 2020 or 2021 was going to look like. Right. And then that all kind of, you know, fell apart. And so this, that's in a way a sort of tearing of our manuscript. So when we're grieving, mm -hmm. we grieve in different ways, our grief shapes us, we shape our grief over time. But I think even naming that and giving ourselves permission not to feel daunted by that, but to instead understand, oh, this is now, a, this is kind of helping to rebuild or reform or reshape my identity, the story mm -hmm. of my life. And so that we don't have to try to either stuff it down or move real quickly through it. Right. You know, it doesn't help our, you know, most workplaces maybe like Two weeks, are you done grieving? Come back to work. Right. Right. So there's a lot of policies and culture that actually cause us harm. So I would invite folks to think about giving yourself just permission to sort of be wherever you're at in your grief is okay, wherever right. it is in this moment. So kind of releasing those expectations that Absolutely. we have on ourselves. And that others have on us or we perceive others have mm. on us, you know, whether it's your parent or your friend or your partner. And they sort of look at you with that look. You all know that look that I'm talking about, mm. right? Like, oh, and to sort of let go of any expectations and to just check inward with what are you doing to sort of help heal yourself and whatever point you're at, which might look worse or better than the day before, which I even use that in air quotes, because I think that's a false, again, expectation that there's right. some linear upward improvement. But wherever you are on your own journey is exactly okay. And there are just opportunities to learn. There's no right or wrong place to be at any given marker, you mm -hmm. know, the year marker or two year marker, whatever it is. So you were saying, talking about like, yeah, releasing our expectations. And I love that about not expecting that one day is going to be better than the next. Yeah. I mean, life, I think one thing we've learned about in the pandemic is that as much as we like to have the illusion that there's some control and that there's some plan and that we can have sort of, we do have some agency, but there are forces beyond what we have the capacity. Mm. And so when we carry with us those expectations that we have to, or are capable of having some, by the way, external marker of improvement, which mm -hmm. is doesn't actually mean anything to your own growth. Growth is messy. Healing is messy. And messy. that messiness isn't just about the time, but it's also about the emotions or the cognition that you have, or even just the relationship that you have with your grief. So like the, the degree to which we can release our expectations of ourselves, those sort of rigid expectations, that more fluidity we can allow ourselves, then we can do the important healing work of grief. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to start kind of laying out um, kind of a, I guess, a, a guidebook for yeah. handling these different emotions that we're all experiencing, um, what's a good place to start when that Maybe when you wake up in the morning and you just kind of feel that dark cloud over you, yeah. um, do you have a recommendation for people? You know, again, everybody's experience is so different, but I, I always start back with naming it. I, th I believe the power of naming something and, and naming it with compassion. So just mm. noticing, using a mindfulness approach, as you said, I do use mindfulness meditation has been one of the most important tools because we experience grief, embody our emotions are an mm. embodied 
experience, but they also get attached to stories that we tell about right. our emotions. So I think first thinking about when you wake up in the morning, if, if that's the particular scenario you're talking about, or just anytime when you're feeling, you know, the, an intense wave of grief is to just acknowledge this is grief. I think the second thing, I always encourage a mindful kind of noticing instead of reacting to whatever emotion is coming up with either trying force to get it away mm -hmm. or jumping in with all feet to kind of just notice with a kind of observing mind with a kind of mm -hmm. compassionate mind like, oh, I'm really feeling it. Noticing where is it in your body? Are you holding it in your chest? Is it in your throat? Is it in the pit of your stomach? Using breath work to kind of just soften to whatever's coming up. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best, if I can share a little metaphor, this is, is, I think this metaphor is kind of lends itself to a great activity when we're feeling the, an intensity of grief. We again, don't live in a culture that really encourages us to feel all the feels. Mm -hmm. We're really only encouraged to feel happiness, right? Toxic positivity, right? And so most of us, when we're experiencing our first or second round of grief, really don't know what it feels like to kind of sit with or welcome in our emotions. And so I remind people that no emotion stays, period. This podcast is brought to you by the Yoga Plus app by Psyche Truth. Listening is just the first part of the journey. Take the next step with your free 14-day trial. Join our professional yoga classes from a variety of instructors. Break a sweat with our high-intensity fitness programs. Elevate your mind, spirit, and body through guided meditations. Start your free 14-day trial today. Yoga Plus by Psyche Truth, available on the App Store and Google Play. Mm. Not the good ones, and I'm again, Eric Wilds, you know, not the ones we want to stay, the joy and the delight. Mm -hmm. Think about the last time you were bursting with joy and it felt amazing. But eventually that emotion passed. Mm -hmm. But so too did the last time that dark cloud you know, and that passed too. It didn't maybe pass and get replaced with the joy of, you know, rainbows right. and sunshine, but it passed. So when you arrive at that place where you're feeling the intensity of a big feeling, a big emotion, I want to invite people to think about your emotions as visitors over for a cup of coffee. Our emotions just need to be just like us as human beings need to be seen and held and noticed. Mm. They come with information. Sometimes they come with false stories so that we lay, add stories onto our emotions like nobody's ever going to love me again or I'm mm. going to be alone forever. Listen out for the stories, but mostly sort of listen inward for whatever that emotion needs to be heard and to be processed. Because mm. the more we get experience, it kind of like, because when we try to shove them away, which a lot of us do, especially the emotions we don't like that make us feel icky and uncomfortable, mm -hmm. they don't go anywhere. They're kind of loom large on the front porch of your life, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of just hang out there like waiting. And then the next day you open the door and there it is. So if we can invite them in for a visitor, they're not going to unpack their bags, I promise. And then when they go, each time we have that kind of cycle of experience of noticing and experiencing and watching our emotions, you know, fade or go for a time, we build our own sense of our capacity that this isn't permanent because mm -hmm. the tricky thing about intense waves of grief is it feels like it's so convincing. Like yeah. I've always felt like this and I'm always going to feel like this. Right. But the more we can bring a mindful attitude towards it, bring a welcoming, opening attitude towards whatever emotions are coming up for us, bring a discerning mind to the stories mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Is the story attached to the emotion helpful? Right. Is it hurtful? Then that's a place to kind of soften to it. And I think if the degree to which you can't do, can do anything, that's a place to start. You might need a guided meditation coach. You might need a grief support person. You might need to also follow up with other tools and resources. But I think we have to start there expanding our capacity to sit with our emotions, mm-hmm. you know. And I think you brought a really important um point to the forefront, which is that we kind of can start to see where our emotional experience is this certain feeling. And you're right. It feels so intense. It feels that it'll never end. And it feels that there's nothing we can do about it. And then our, you know, mind starts coming in and filling in the blanks Mm -hmm. a little bit. So then we start applying these different untrue judgments onto the feelings like as you were saying, this will last forever. I will never find or I shouldn't. another person. Boy, we should all over ourselves, right? We yes. apply the shoulds all the time. Yeah, I shouldn't feel this way. Mm-hmm. I should. Or I should be, done be over it. Now. Yeah. Self-compassion is the key in there is to really attend to your, both yourself and yourself com- and your emotions mm. with real compassion. You know, channel that Kristen Neff inner self-compassion wisdom there. Right. Um, and to your point, to begin, then over time, you'll begin to listen with sophistication. This is where a grief guide or somebody else can help you to listen to what are the thoughts or the stories that you're applying mm. that are helping and what no longer serve you. So if you start, I always invite people to be a should detective, like listen out for idea. the shoulds. Yeah. And this applies to, by the way, beyond grief, this applies to any kind of emotional distress. Right. Um, when we start to listen out to the shoulds and shouldn'ts that we don't even know are at play in our own mind, often those are what make grief is hard. I'm not going to lie. It sucks. It's difficult. The full spectrum of grief is hard. But what's made harder, I think, honestly, is all of the shoulds and shouldn'ts Mm -hmm. that other people apply to us and that we sort of take in. And the truth is often we don't even know they're at play. So that inner mindfulness practice that I was talking about allows you to kind of turn up the volume and listen in for you know, like maybe the narrative or the story is I should be over it by now. And maybe the sort of curious, compassionate counter narrative is why? Who says? Right. Right. Who's going to put this linear timeline yes. yeah. on you? Why should I? If if like we were talking about the love of your life, we were talking about your pet, or if you're talking about, you know, a dream unfulfilled, and maybe again because of the pandemic. I think the more we try to jump over or should or corner our emotions or our beliefs into a certain place because we think that's what we should do, Mm. again, it doesn't go anywhere. It just stays locked up. And if we can counter our narratives and say, well, what if I just gave myself permission to feel these feelings? What if I figured, what if I gave myself space to figure out what small steps could I take to feel better today. This Mm -hmm. isn't about getting rid of grief, but like better in this moment. Right. Early in grief, I sometimes tell people your goal isn't necessarily to feel better. That might not be the language that feels accessible, Mm -hmm. but maybe your goal is for things to suck less just for a little while. Mm -hmm. Like what if you could take a walk do some meditation, do a breath, talk to a friend, talk to take rest, by the way, rest and nutrition, the most underrated Mm. resource. It's a full body response. Right. Um, Say no to calendar events, that kind of thing. What if you did that? And could that help things suck a little less today? Right. 
you know, just, just really shifting the narrative, but we can't shift that narrative until we know what the narrative is. Mm-hmm. And that takes a kind of slowing down, which is not really also encouraged in our culture, right. right? We're like, do the big action, take the big step, do the big thing. But oftentimes healing is more, it's messy, as I said, but it's also full of subtle moments, mm-hmm. subtle interventions, subtle actions, right. subtle shifts in our thinking. It kind of reminds me, you're saying that um, a lot of times in yoga classes, uh, you'll get to the end of class and you take Shavasana pose. Which, just, by the way, can we all just agree is the everyone's favorite best pose. part of And yet for a lot of people, that is their most yes. challenging pose yeah. to sit still with yourself, to sit in silence with yourself. And Shavasana is meant to be practiced in silence yes. and just really yeah. tuning in. And, and that is something that I think on the whole in our society, so many of us are it's countercultural, not really able to, to do. We want to have that incoming information. We're listening to music. We're mm-hmm. listening to podcasts all the time. But just that element of knowing that if we can sit with ourselves in silence and kind yes. of tune into what we're feeling, giving ourselves not only that permission to feel the feels, giving ourselves that compassion. I love that. And and starting to notice those judgments that we're imposing on ourselves that are just making us feel worse, Yeah, but they're maybe not actually based in truth. They're just, it's kind of our natural human reaction. They have power, even without their truth, they have a kind of power and we have to notice them first to invite them to leave, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I love that you said that. It's so true. I remember decades ago when I first started doing yoga, Shavasana, I was like, I was uncomfortable. I was noticing the way my back didn't feel. My, I was already thinking about, and now, oh man, I, I'm like a Shavasana warrior. I can just <laughs> sit in it. But I think that's, that is an emblematic of why I think so many people struggle mm-hmm. with grief is because they try to apply that do go fix action oriented, mm-hmm. um, mindset to grief. And because we haven't become practiced at sitting and making space and bearing witness for the full spectrum of our emotional life. Again, mm-hmm. where do we learn that? That's certainly not encouraged sort of maybe in your family, right. definitely not in kind of our larger culture. So do, even doing that in small steps, doing those kind of mindful arriving activities mm-hmm. where you kind of arrive more fully and just like, maybe that's a place you start. Maybe day one, it's one minute, maybe day two, Maybe week two, it's two minutes. You don't have to mm-hmm. do a minute a day. I like, love that baby steps. Super just baby. Mic, you know, some people, you know, kind of in the pop psychology community call them micro steps, right? But whatever it is, again, if you're trying some new skill or new tool, a new way of relating to yourself and your emotional life and your grief, even listen out to the like, well, I can't even do this right. You know, I'm sure people mm-hmm. have done that like in yoga, like I can't even do Shavasana right. You've never been in this grief position before. You've Mm -hmm. never faced these emotions before. You've never maybe sat still long in this space of silence and bearing witness to your emotions. Mm -hmm. So how about have some compassion and say, well, why would I be good at it? Is there anything else in your life that you get good at that you don't practice over and over again? That you've never that you've never done before? No. Like never. Lots of babies who walk their first time. Right, exactly. They just stand right up. They start walking around. They know how to talk immediately. They don't fumble and fall down, right? And Um, but and yet we live in a very expert culture that pressures us all with those shoulds and shouldn'ts mm -hmm. into somehow 
being good at everything right away. And just like every other area of our life, our, our, the work of grief, the work of attending to our emotions, to sitting with mm. the pain and the discomfort requires a kind of practice. And that practice yeah. isn't a kind of force. I'm going to go out to the batting cages and, you know, like over and over again. I mean, there may be some things that you have to sort of force yourself to, but for the most part, it's so much more subtle than that. And it's mm -hmm. just increasing your comfort with attending to the sort of embodied emotional cognitive impact of your grief and to remembering that it's not just the emotional world, though I feel like I wouldn't be doing um, folks service if I just stuck to the emotional world of grief, mm -hmm. recognizing that our cognitive functioning is impaired, our immunity, our nutrition, our rest cycles, our cortisol levels, all of those things are impacted by our grief. So mm -hmm. we have to attend with compassion to all of those aspects of our lives, of our kind of personhood, not just the emotional world. Right. It's just the emotional world is where we most of us struggle with the most. Right. And maybe too, to kind of take the other side of that coin, that those are also areas where maybe we can improve the way we're feeling Absolutely. by getting more sleep, eating a little healthier, eating, you know, making sure we're drinking plenty of water, little things like staying are hydrated. So huge that everyone forgets. Yeah. So as I said, grief is an embodied experience. It takes a toll because our stress response gets activated and sometimes stays in place, which as you know, our nervous system was not meant to be in an activated state all mm -hmm. the time. And rest does a lot of restorative things. It helps us process memories and cognition. It helps us repair, you know, lots of things in our body. So if you're doing a lot of emotional work and you're not doing it in a space where you're also getting good rest, eating well, drinking, hydrating your body, saying no to things that you did before, by the way. I think that's one of the biggest challenges as we try to keep up the levels at which we were functioning before. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I'm not saying it's forever, but you cannot ignore the impact of the sort of cognitive and lack of rest and nutrition mm -hmm. has on your life. So plowing ahead just with your emotional well-being and not attending to those other things, you're kind of, you know, shortchanging yourself mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, it reminds me too of what you said a little while ago, that it's not this linear thing no. where you, you it's going to start this way and then it fades off and tapers in this, no. that it's kind of this ever changing, ebbing and flowing feeling where- It comes in waves. We process things in waves for sure. Yeah. And so if we can be more forgiving of ourselves, more- uh, compassionate with the emotions that we are feeling and not putting those additional yeah. judgments on those feelings that we need to give ourselves permission to feel, then maybe we can start to recognize that that feeling, like you said, is temporary. Yeah. It will pass as all things do. And that on a day-to-day -day basis, we can just look for those things. What can I do right now? Like, I like what you said earlier to just make things suck a little bit less I mean, and just take it day by day rather than having this pressure on ourselves that it needs to look a certain way or by this certain date, we should all be I mean, over it. Or we have to have a master plan. I mean, you know, yeah, kind of being kind of being fluid, being compassionate, being open to the possibilities, um, tr doing the best you can to sort of remove expectations and barriers and judgments along mm. the way. Um, things will come up. Some people call them grief bursts or, you know, grief triggers or other things. Things will come up 
Some you might expect, you know, coming up on the anniversary of a death loss or on somebody's birthday or a wedding anniversary, you know, those things you might notice. But it also might be, you know, a favorite song playing on the radio or it might be you get some good news and you want to turn to the person that you used to share that with. Mm. And instead of, you know, oh, it's been three years, it's been two years, it's been 10 years and bringing that expectation and that judgment again with that linear thinking, how can you soften to like, yeah, this is a moment that I wish that person was here or mm. I'm I'm recognizing that my feelings are coming up and just attend to it. Yeah. We have to bring a kind of compassionate attending to our to our whole selves, not just to our emotional selves, but our whole selves in a way that is um it's not it's not I think a lot of people worry that it's too self-indulgent and if I do that I'm going to get stuck here, mm. you know, and actually the research shows, I mean again back to Kristen Neff, you know, around self-compassion is we don't become lazy or self-indulgent when we attend to ourselves with compassion. Mm. In fact, when we bring compassion to our inner world, particularly again in the face when we're talking about something around grief, that actually gives us the kind of restorative space to then take action and attend mm. to the things that we need to attend to. So mm -hmm. like go of those self-indulgent, right. you know, narratives and really arrive more fully with compassion. Right. Well, it's just another aspect of that judgment. Like, oh, I don't deserve yeah. this. I don't deserve to take this more yeah. time or whatever. But I think Lisa, Why? that you are such a perfect example of somebody who has taken so many just very difficult situations that have been handed yeah. to you. And not only were you able to take them and get through them, but you were able to recognize that what you did and what you experienced is so pervasive and so, yeah. you know, widely experienced. I like that how you say by a hundred percent of us. No one's getting out of here alive without, you mm -hmm. know, without grieving. And you've been able to transform that into something that has helped so many people. And yeah, just reading thanks. the reviews on your podcast, Everyone is just so thankful that yeah. they found you. And I think it just really speaks to the importance as much as it maybe sounds silly or sounds easy. I think a lot of times people are seeking out things that they expect it to be really big or really life changing or really different. Yeah. And a lot of times it's those simpler things that actually bring us the greatest amount of relief or comfort. Just comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate that. You know, I think sort of my motto in my work is changing the narratives of grief one conversation mm -hmm. at a time. And the podcast in particular, I created this format of having a very open and authentic conversation about the realities of grief with different people who've experienced it both at the personal and the professional level or both like mm -hmm. I have. And I think the power of that in a lot of ways is listeners from the privacy of their own wherever, you know, AirPods or headphones <laughs> mm -hmm. can hear other people's experiences of grief. And even if it's a totally different grief story, I've had so many examples of that where it was, you know, like parental loss, but somebody who had lost, you know, a child through miscarriage heard someone's story or some aspect of their grief or the mm -hmm. shoulds that they experienced or the guilt that they felt or whatever and felt seen yeah. and witnessed in their grief. And part of the challenge is that we often don't feel we feel so isolated and alone in our grief. And then, which is just the nature of grief is very isolating, mm -hmm. but then culturally we don't. So the work, the reason I did this is when I looked up after, I was even a social worker, a clinical director of a nonprofit. But after my husband died, I sort of looked up and thought, 
no one's talking about this. No one's Mm. being honest about this. And so when I did feel guilty or sad or anxious or wanted, should I start dating again or what, you know, all the questions that I had about what I was experiencing, why is my memory kind of foggy? Why do I, Mm. that's like grief brain. I thought it was compounded and made worse because no one, there was no information out there. So I really appreciate you noticing that. And I do think that's why the work that I do at Reimagine Grief and on the podcast, Grief is a Sneaky B, has resonated for people Mm -hmm. because they get in a way, everybody just wants to see their, see themselves reflected in the world. Right. And know that we're not alone. And that we're not alone. And that whatever thought you had, whatever feeling you had, whatever place you're at, somebody else might've been in that place. And now they're in a different place. And Ooh, that might be a possibility Mm -hmm. that I might get to that place. And I don't have to follow that exact path, but just to know, you know, if you're a new widow and you're listening to the story of a widow 10 years out and they've done these things or feel these ways over the years, just seeing ourselves sort of in our experiences um, portrayed in other ways and learning the different tools and skills and ways in which people have navigated and fallen down and gotten back up, by the way, and fallen down and gotten back up, but they're still going, um, helps us feel less alone, helps us feel seen and witnessed, Mm -hmm. which is at our neurobiological core, we want to belong. Right. Um, and it's an honor every day that I get to do this work. I started by saying I am the geek or the nerd that like it gets excited about talking about grief and loss every day. But I do think doing the work of grief, attending to the grief actually gives you the capacity to show up in the world, cherishing joy and delight and amazement in, a, in ways that you might not have if you had not done the difficult work of of grief. And right. I think, I hope I am a living testament to that. And yes, I hope I bring that to the folks that I serve through my work. Yeah. Yes. And I think you're a hundred percent right that that feeling that we're alone or that we're feeling something that no one else has felt, which is oddly part of the emotion that all of yeah. us feel universal. So just knowing that we're not alone and especially now that the whole world is going through this pandemic together. Yeah. We're all experiencing loss various, of our loved ones, yeah, various loss levels. of our friends and family, our own fear each and every day, just leaving our house. Yeah. This is such a new feeling for all of us. Yeah. But I just wanted to do this podcast to try to remind all of us that we're all in this together. Yeah. And that as much as sometimes we feel so alone and we feel that there's maybe no end in sight, yeah. that actually those are just part of the feelings we need to move through and yeah. that we can come out on the other side of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to future podcasts with you as well. And for all of you listening, if you're interested in getting more information, you can visit reimagininggrief.com where you can check out the different blogs and meditations that Lisa has created, as well as listening to her podcast. If you would like a more up-to-date and just how often do you do your podcast? So they release um, twice a month and I'm just about to launch season three starting in September. But there's 33 great episodes out there with experts and people across the world who came on to share their stories. So lots to listen to already. I'll be honest, just reading the reviews on your podcast brought tears to my eyes. I'm yeah, like, this I've been, is so important. <laughs> yeah, I, literally every review that someone leaves. I mean, I, I'm always pitching for people to leave reviews because that helps get the word out. But it's not about the volume. It really 
reminds me every time I get one of those reviews, like the power of hearing somebody else's story and helping people feel less alone in their grief mm. is like, that's the biggest gift. It really is. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your time today. Yeah. And I look forward to having you on the podcast again. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I really loved it. And I'd love to come back again. Okay, great. Thank you all so much for watching. I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast and I hope that you will join us again in the future. Remember, you can visit Lisa at reimagininggrief.com and I look forward to seeing you all again soon.